Welcome to Sport Faith Life with Brian Bolt and Chad Carlson, two guys who came together with one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. They are sports scholars, they're coaches, and they're competitive athletes, or at least they were. And together, they've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. Today on Sport Faith Life, we welcome Dr. Sean Stralo, Assistant Professor of Sports Management at Messiah University, a former college tennis player, and a researcher on college athletics, faith, and character development in sport. We're really excited to talk to our friend Sean, so let's get started. Well, we're so excited to have Sean Stralo with us today. Sean, tell us a little bit about sport in your life. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, been listening to the podcast for a long time, so it's just a treat to, to talk with you all today. Uh, sport in my life, probably very similar to the average guest you have here, is always around. Um, I was born and raised in Texas, so Texas takes sports very seriously. And yet, uh, I, I feel like I was really fortunate in that I, I kind of was playing youth sports right before youth sport became such a serious commodity uh, (laughs) uh, where parents were really uh, revolving their entire social lives around it. Uh, So I very much still had this Tom Sawyer like uh, element of play and getting to explore sports. And, you know, a lot of my play just happening in the neighborhood and playing pickup games. But uh, I'd say, you know, uh, early on, um, playing a lot of baseball uh, just because my friends were playing and my dad enjoyed coaching it. So he was involved. Um, uh, So played baseball to about age 10, but got really serious about tennis uh, uh, around middle school. And and that was really when we, um, we grew up in, uh, in an area where people did take their sports very seriously. And I went to a high school where if you weren't really excellent at this, then you weren't doing it. And so I really had to specialize in tennis and, uh, was, uh, was good enough to play for a well-respected high school tennis, high school tennis program and an above average division three, uh, college program. Um, sport introduced me to my wife, Morgan, who also played tennis at the same college I did. Um, and it became a, a part of our our lives beyond college. So um, I am an educator at heart. Uh, I decided to go the teaching route. So I, I taught uh, high school and middle school uh, business education, uh, sort of a career technology education, uh, while coaching tennis. And my wife, Morgan, worked uh, at the Cotton Bowl at Cowboy Stadium for three years before um, launching her career in intercollegiate athletics. So we both worked in the athletic department at University of Arkansas while I did my master's in sport management there. She did her master's through A&M in sport management, um, got to work together in Baylor's athletic department. Um, I got to work with student athletes in sort of an educational capacity as well. Um, and it's still something that's really present in my life today. I'm still a very active competitive tennis player, part of a Texas USTA league team that's going to nationals this fall. Um, uh, uh, so in October, I'll be in Surprise, Arizona, uh, competing in nationals, which is fun. And, you know, uh, also trying to just give back to the tennis community. I've served on the uh, sportsmanship committee for the USTA Texas section while I was uh, still in Waco. Um, and, um, you know, now that I'm at Messiah, 
just pouring into the tennis students here, getting to hit with the guys and and be a little bit of a, a mentor to, uh, and, and just get a little bit of a workout in. So, um, <laughs> yeah, the great thing about tennis, it's a lifelong sport and, uh, we get to continue playing these games that we love. It's a lifelong sport. You're right. And I love that, that tennis has competitive, organized opportunities, even for adults, right? You can't age out of that. I, I love that. I love that aspect of tennis. I love the culture of tennis in the U.S. It's, it's got such a, uh, such a characteristic of service. Sounds like you're a deep part of that. So thanks for sharing for sure. that. Uh, yeah. Tell us about faith in your life. Yeah. So, um, my dad is the son of a Baptist preacher, had, had three brothers. They all grew up in the church, very, you know, strict upbringing as my dad kind of describes it. Um, uh, and, um, my, my mom, on the other hand, uh, grew up in Southern Louisiana, um, in a Catholic family, uh, where a very probably strict upbringing too, but also culturally very different where, you know, um, it's just, it's Cajun, uh, as my mother would describe it. And so there was probably a little bit more freedom. And, uh, my mom became, I guess what we would call a born again, Christian a little bit later on in life before meeting my dad. And, um, I feel like those traditions blended in an interesting way growing up where, um, you know, I was held to high moral standards with strong expectations to tend to my spiritual life and my personal relationship with Jesus, uh, but also was given a lot more freedom and trust uh, from my parents than perhaps most kids growing up, you know, fundamentalist adjacent. I wouldn't call us fundamentalist, but, you know, I got to read Harry Potter and I got to have friends that weren't always going to church. But, you know, we weren't drinking or having sex or doing it yeah, like but um, I, you know, I got to have a late curfew. So I was really given a lot of freedom to explore the world and my place in it. Um and, you know, to the extent that that crossed over into sport, you know, part of that was that was kind of my responsibility. And, you know, my parents would teach me some lessons. But for the most part, I wasn't very contemplative about <laughs> the role that faith played in, in my athletic participation. You know, it was more of the things you don't do. Right. OK, well, don't be a jerk. You know, maybe don't swear. Um, and probably the most meaningful crossover would be just me and my mom playing table tennis at our house, uh, you know, as a tennis player, loved to, and I think this was just part of her genius is she would just get on, we would hit back and forth for hours and I would just kind of spill what was going on in my life. And, um, and she would get to give me advice and I'd walk away from those being like, did I just get played into telling my mom everything? And absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, that was formative. And uh, of course my dad, you know, loves speaking into me as an athlete and, you know, what it means to be a good athlete as a Christian, you know, and then uh, I went to a small Christian liberal arts college to play tennis. So uh, faith was perhaps a little bit more present, uh, yeah, just uh, based on the culture. Um, and there were more opportunities to think through what faith means in and through sport. Um, but it, again, it always seemed something that was just a little bit added on to what we were doing and, and integrating it. I, I don't know if I ever really thought a lot very deeply about uh, until I arrived at Baylor. Um, I had been working in college athletics for a number of years and going into a PhD in higher ed, I really wasn't thinking about faith or theology of sport at that time. I was just thinking, oh, well, I want to kind of explore the higher ed side of sport. Um, and, you know, the my very first class was ethics in higher ed uh, uh, with a guy who ended up being my mentor and PhD advisor named Perry Glanzer. Um, and 
you know, he starts off this class saying, what is ethics? And, you know, we all kind of fumble around trying to give an answer. And he, you know, and, and some of the reform folks may understand this, but he kind of draws out the creation, fall, redemption, restoration narrative in a way that just, I almost came out of my seat, right? I'm like, wait, 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 are you telling me that, uh, that Christianity is, it's, it is about my personal relationship with Jesus, but this is about a project between God and the world, establishing his rule and reign through creation. And I'm a part of this story that's been going on. And, and are you further telling me that sport is this created good that is fallen and in need of redemption? And that as co-laborers and co-heirs that I have a role to, to play in this. And I felt like I just discovered fire. Uh, I was like, is anybody else thinking about sport this way? Uh, you know, and, and, you know, Perry was like, okay, calm down here. He gave me this small little book, uh, gave me this small little book called Sp- uh, Faith, Sport, Life, written by a guy named Brian Bolt. And he pointed me to, the, <laughs> to Truett Seminary. So go see John White. And so that just, I felt like Bilbo Baggins going off on an adventure. And, you know, I felt like even though I was getting my PhD in higher ed, every, for every article or book I read, I would read something in theology or the philosophy of sport and, you know, I always joke that Baylor still owes me an honorary uh, master's uh, master of arts in theology, just because uh, I was always looking for what electives can I go take in here. You know, with John White and who ended up being on my dissertation committee, and so it just it just completely transformed the way that that I think about sport. And so now, even now, just to be a part of this conversation, I still find myself just giddy, like that I get to, you know, play a small part in, in what this larger community has been doing for some time now. Well, Sean, there's a lot there. We're giddy too. We love the fact that you're you're doing this and uh, excited about it. Uh, it's really, uh, there, there are a lot of connections there that probably resonated with Chad. It certainly did with me and the way that you were brought up. You're integration of faith was was a bit of a uh, and sport a bit of a journey as you go through you you married a Divi- division three tennis uh player as did i so you have good taste uh so uh, i wonder if there's one thing before we launch into how where this is taking you uh is there one thing uh, about your life or about you maybe your experiences that helps our, our listeners understand you a bit better yeah absolutely um I, I did have some time to think about this question because, of course, I've listened to the podcast. And um, I think one of the really interesting things, I actually talk about my brother, um, who is a bowler. Um, but my brother was also born, um, uh, he had a stroke at birth and and is legally blind. Um, and, you know, but yet has, you know, defied all the doctor's kind of expectations of what and who he would be. And so despite being legally blind, he is a fantastic bowler who's bowled, gosh, I don't even know how many perfect games now, um, probably five or six in league play that he's been recognized for. And that was something, even as a serious tennis player, that, you know, my parents kind of encouraged us to bowl together, uh, both me and him and all of us as a family. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, we got to bowl in the state tournament. Our team finished like sixth or eighth out of hundreds of teams. And, uh, and, that was a special thing I got to do with Connor. Uh, but it was also bowling is such a unique, uh, sport community because it it is just a gangly motley crew of people that wouldn't fit in any other context that accept each other like family. So I think if there's a sport out there that's more reflective of the kingdom than maybe like an American social structure, it's, it's gotta be bowling. Um, because it's just such a diverse and accepting place that, you know, you may not expect if you're not in that community. 
Well, I love that. I think you've got a research project there. I love uh, the idea of kind of looking at bowling, which is such a unique sport because it has such built-in social time. You you take your turn and then you go hang out, right? It's a, it's a really interesting uh, dynamic that you don't see in a lot of other sports. And so, like you said, also an accepting culture. I've seen some bowling teams kind of fun to, to explore that. Uh, I, I, I'll wait for that book. It'll yeah. be fantastic when you get that done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'll, I'll get to work on that right away. So speaking of your work, Sean, uh, you've done uh, some some research in sport and faith. You've looked at um, perceptions of athletes. You've looked at uh, coaching and faith, or how faith impacts coaching, those sorts of things. So you've you've kind of uh, sort of reached around, looked for different things to connect with. Uh, give us a sense of what sort of questions drive you. Yeah, that's a great question. So. Um, and, and that's what my, my graduate studies were is just kind of reaching for what, what do I really want to focus on moving forward? Um, and so I would say that one of the things that I really became intrigued with, uh, in my study of higher ed and Christian higher ed in particular is just the process of moral formation, um, which character development is a part of, but moral formation being this broader, um, how do we kind of inculcate the Christian imagination in and through the ways that we develop students? And, uh, and what I found was we have a really robust literature in Christian higher ed about how this looks in the classroom and how this looks in student affairs. Um, but that, that same conversation hasn't quite made its way to coaching pedagogy. Um, and coaches tend to reach for a different set of literature which is, is fine literature, um, but um, I've, I felt like there was a lot of value in sort of um, taking the, the theological and Christian frameworks that have been used to frame Christian education and then taking them into the coaching realm. So that's going to cover character form, character development and how do we think about that in Christian ways, what virtues and identities are important, but also what sort of images and, and resources are coaches drawing on theologically from the narratives found in scripture um, and how are they using them to situate their athletes in the, the whatever sport culture they find themselves in as athletes. And so, um, you know, so again, some of my work has focused on those virtues and identities as character development, but, but also what theological traditions have, have coaches kind of used either explicitly or implicitly. Um, so I would say that's those, that's the primary question that I'm thinking about when I think about diving into research. So share with us a little bit about some of what you found. I mean, this is, this is fascinating stuff. And like you said, it's, it's a different, it's, it's not a new question being asked, but it's a question being asked of a new sort of group of, of people and stakeholders within higher education. Sure. So I'll start with just the smaller character development piece um, is, you know, when, when I started asking coaches, what does character mean? Um, there's, it's really hard to define and, and not just for coaches, it's hard to define for all of us. Uh, and, um, it, you know, you kind of get these answers of like, well, it's who you are as a person. Um, and it's being a good human being. Well, okay. What's a good human being? And it turns out we can't answer that without 
without referencing particular identities that we find to be important and how those identities are ordered. So when I interview coaches about what does it mean to be a good human being, um, they're going to give me uh, different identities that I've sort of categorized into perhaps your performance identities. So sport not only teaches you how to be a good athlete where you're expected to perform, but it also teaches you how to be a good student. It teaches you how to be a good worker, right? Like a, a professional identity where performance is uh, is kind of central to. Um, but then there's a, another level of, well, it also teaches relational identities. It teaches you like, if, if athlete is the performance identity, teammate is the relational identity. And then that sort of uh, translates to, well, how do we be a good family member? How do we be a good, um, uh, uh, you know, member of a, of, a, of a democratic society? How do we be a good, uh, you know, brother or sister or uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, like spouse? Uh, and then, and then finally, there's there's an ultimate identity, right? What we might call a meta identity that has a meta narrative about, you know, what how, what identity is ordering and defining all the rest of these other identities. So, if you ask someone from a uh, perhaps like a, what we might call a pluralistic school rather than an explicitly Christian one, they're going to talk about being a leader, right? It tends to be like the 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 moral identity. That, that is somewhat vague. And yet, you know, how do we be a leader in all these other identities? Um, another one would be, and this is more common for men and women, but what does it mean to be a good man? I think is, is very frequently addressed in sport, which the fact that it's not frequently addressed in female sports, I think is interesting. But, um, but for, for most of us as Christians, that meta identity is the Christian identity and narrative. And so how does that identity enliven all of the other ones that we talk about? And then you can map virtues onto these different categories of identity. So there are performance virtues uh, uh, that, you know, like dedication and, and grit and, and all of these things that help us uh, with performance. There are moral virtues that help us relationally. And then there are what some scholars have referred to as redemptive virtues, which are, are sort of um, just Christ, you know, like the fruits of the spirit and Christ enlivened virtues that transform the, the ordinary moral virtues um, into something that, that doesn't just uh, connote equality with one another, but actually calls us to lower ourselves uh, below others. Uh, and so I'm always attuned to how much are coaches emphasizing these performance virtues and identities versus these redemptive virtues um, that are maybe a little bit more difficult to fit into a competitive framework. Um, so that would be one strand. And uh, perhaps I'll stop there to see if you have any follow-up questions, but. Yeah, I want to actually want to start right where you ended, which is that sort of uh, stretching point where you've got these performance virtues and as an, an active coach right now, I'm in the middle of this, right? I am looking for a high-level performance. When I don't get it, certain emotions come up in me like, okay, let's go, right? And then I have these uh, uh, virtues that you would put in the Christian identity camp, um, lowering yourself, humility, fruits of the spirit, gentleness, peace, patience, kindness, and I'm wondering, uh, I think just about every coach and just about every student athlete uh, wants to believe that those two line up uh, almost perfectly, right? Th they want to say that my faith and my performance will lead me to 
good faith and good performance, these virtues, right? Uh, but it may not be true. And, and I wonder how uh, you're you're experiencing that in your research. How, how are you uh, interacting with people when they kind of hit up against that? I notice that a lot of people don't think this far, right? It's intentionally maybe don't mm-hmm. think this far. And then uh, what have what sort of advice are you giving people as they maybe recognize this mm. or see this tension? Yeah. Um, yeah. So kind of a uh, big question. Great question. And I would say I got to interview a lot of coaches for my dissertation, for other parts of my research. And, and it's a it's a spectrum. So some coaches aren't really thinking very deeply about this at all. But some coaches really surprised me with, yeah, I, I do sit with this. Um, uh, what What's what's surprising to me is that they never talk about how do I help my athletes sit with it? Because I think that it's comfortable enough for them to sit with that. If I open this can of worms with my team then it just becomes really complicated. So here's what I would say, and I'm still formulating my thoughts to this as well, but a lot of coaches like to talk about Christ-likeness as, as this is the definition of Christian character. And (laughs) When we talk about the relational identities of being a teammate and, and the dynamic within the team, I think there's a lot of room for that, right? How do I how do I kind of put team over self? We might say, or how do I um, how do I just you know have humility in terms of well, I'm not I don't I'm not trying to you know be cutthroat to my teammates when I'm trying to climb my way up some sort of performance ladder. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of doing so. I think there's a lot of room. But anytime the coaches tried to talk about Christ likeness within like the actual competitive realm, like when we step on the field, it always felt to me as forced um, to the point where I'm like, is Christ likeness a terrible image and metaphor for being on the competitive field? And I felt like a bad Christian for asking that. But as I started to, to poke at that, one of the other resources I found in our in our uh, in, in sort of this the biblical narrative um, was was not sort of this individual uh, cultivation of Christ-like virtues, which is important and that we do need to do, uh, but also wrestling with the tension of being a covenanted people. Um, and where I was really kind of inspired by this was the work of Walter Brueggemann, um, who really talks about the tensions of, of that Israel experiences of being uh, a covenanted people that are, that are in an exilic people that um, are called to faithfulness uh, within a sphere where they don't really get to set the standards of excellence, right? So uh, uh, Walter Brueggemann actually uh, gave a, a lecture or a, a, an address at Baylor where he talks about fast and slow wisdom uh, that we find in Jeremiah, where uh, the triad of control or the fast wisdom is the the um, the wealth uh, is do not boast in your own um, wealth, you know, your own power, your own uh, like all of these things. And then the, the trite of fidelity is if you're going to boast in anything, boast in this, um, love, justice, and, and righteousness. Right. And so that's the slow wisdom. And so the, we can almost call them different logics, uh, that were, that were kind of held to as both athletes and, and Christians, um, that, you know, you can kind of use these triads to talk about, well, in the triad of control, the team is like an organization and we're about efficiency and we're about, you know, producing something. Whereas the triad of fidelity 
you know, it's more about the team. The team is a family. Uh, it, it's more, it's more about intentionality and it's more about process and formation. And so rather than trying to cram this, uh, this, this Christ-likeness um, framework uh, into the actual competitive component of sport, what we can do is teach students to sit in the tension uh, of, of being um, in the already not yet of this, this uh, create good created and yet fallen reality of sport. I, that's just me riffing, but. That's what it's all about. We, we love hearing that, John. Um, I'm curious, as you talk through all of this, you know, the work that you do academically, you know, in publications, obviously that's read by an audience that cares about scholarship and it tends to be, uh, you know, a more uh, academically inclined or intellectually inclined audience. You mentioned doing work with coaches in the interview process, you know, the, the, the data collection process. You're talking to coaches, so you're spending time with them, and and one would guess that they are interested in your work and and therefore are asking questions anew because of the questions you're asking them. And yet you also mentioned that you're a teacher at heart. So I guess I'm just curious, who do you see as the primary audience of the work that you do? Boy, I really wrestle with that um, because... um, you know, I, I want my work to be scholarly. I want it to be rigorous. I want it to, I want it to engage um, theology in a, in a meaningful way. And yet I also recognize that theology is not necessarily an approachable discipline to, to practitioners. And that was actually something that I, I came out of my dissertation. So my dissertation was actually a um, an experiment in this new emerging qualitative method called grounded theology. Uh, and, uh, and it is a messy space. So I, I would say that it is my, my, my work. I want to be for practitioners, for coaches, athletic administrators, but, but also to invite them into this work of theology that I don't think is that scary. I don't think is this stodgy ivory tower academic discipline, but it's, it's a practice that we're invited into and it's not going to be, uh, it's not always go- we're Sometimes we're going to get coal when we try to do that. Right. But some sometimes the conceptual alchemy that comes out of, uh, you know, meddling in theology to better articulate our faith as it is embodied in sport you can come up with some really great things, even as someone like myself, who's not formally trained in theology, right? Like um, I just started picking up books and doing this. And if I can do it, I think anybody can do it. So uh, again, I, I would say wrestling in, in the, in the messy middle of, of practice and theory and, you know, the, the theology of sport. So speaking of that messy middle, you teach, you uh, spend time with athletes. You um, do some research on the side. How do you consume sport, uh, or do you concern? How do you engage with the wider world of sport? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, maybe that's just a, a more personal question. Tell me how you're connected uh, right now, and uh, is there any tension there in the way that you you interact with this sort of, you know, uh, definitely not yet world of of sort of larger sport? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I've always, in terms of how I consume it, uh, I'll, I'll talk first as a spectator. 
I've always felt a little bit of an outsider uh, in terms of being a spectator of sport because everybody always just like, this is what we're like. We're watching sports center 24 seven. We are so invested. Like even the teams that I support most. So apologetically for me, this is the Dallas Cowboys, right? I've been a Cowboys fan since 1995. I know, but you know, this is a Christian community. We can forgive. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I like, I couldn't tell you like, the who the people on the o-line were like I, i've just never been that invested as a sports fan and so sometimes i feel like an outsider even with my own students who are just consuming sport constantly um is i've always just oh yeah i'll support my team but like when they lose it doesn't really affect my day you know uh and i don't know how i wound up that way but um uh so and i will say as someone who likes to watch you know, f- college football, uh, as I feel somewhat conflicted in terms of the damage that it does to bodies. Right. So we're going to talk about being, uh, part of creation and how do we steward our bodies? And, you know, some sports are, are not kind to, to our bodies as a part of God's creation. So, um, I always feel like now I'm, I'm consuming sport more from the perspective of a sociologist and a lay, uh, theologian, um, uh, than as um, uh, as someone who is just a fan, um, and and yeah, that comes with its tensions of what is ethical and am I engaging in sport faithfully? Um, it's something I'm always reflecting on, and and more so, what what I get to do is I get to draw students to that uncomfortable reality, right? Um, not not to be critical and not to like tear down their conceptions of what sport is and how great it can be, but But I do enjoy leading students to this realization of, oh, as a Christian, I I need to even be ethical about how I'm consuming sport, either as a fan or and it's not it's not easy. It's like you said, it's messy. Um, So, yeah, I I think that now where I, I used to think about praying before competing or praying before events as God help me play good and maybe keep me safe. Uh, and it can be those things, but it's also God help me to be extremely mindful as I'm participating or spectating, um, uh, about how this sport is morally animated and, and just being attuned to how can I be faithful watching this football game? How can I be faithful playing this tennis match, um, in, in, in small yet meaningful ways? Sean, you mentioned football. Does your institution have a football team? It does not. Um, and I haven't, you know, I've, I've always been interested because, you know, football is not only does it carry with it this level of prestige um, in terms of the athletic hierarchy, but it's also a huge enrollment driver for colleges like ours. And so I haven't really asked around about this, but it almost seems like that's a point of pride for us. Maybe that has something to do with our Anabaptist roots. I don't know. Um, but but no, we currently do not have a football team. Right. I, I didn't think so. And I guess I was just curious because Brian's institution has has just foregone <laughs> their, their previously held convictions and now has, has football and has stepped into everything that comes along with that. I know you mentioned like harm to the body and uh, all these other sort of business economic reasons for why one would have football. It seemed to get away from the purity of, of sport in general. But before I, well, allow, we Brian, we could, before yeah. I allow Brian to respond to that, Sean, where, where, can, 
what, what's next? What's coming next from you? I mean, what's going to come out of your work where, where we'll be able to see evidence of, of the, the progress of your scholarship? Yeah, sure. Um, one of the things I have become really interested in and uh, I, I connect this, uh, I started connecting this work actually too. I, I went and re-listened to an episode y'all did with Elizabeth Bounds, who I'm, I'm also connected with at, at Baylor. And uh, she, she kind of has it going from more of the psychological perspective with the theological foundation. But I've become really interested in this idea. I believe maybe it was Randolph Fiesel as a, as a uh, sport philosopher who talked about the idea of ironic detachment in sport. Um, another way term that has been used in Christian education, uh, by Christian Smith is this idea of critical distance. So it's this idea that people can, particularly Christians have this, can remove themselves somewhat from the moral orders that are, that, that maybe form us in ways that are counter to what we might want as a Christian. Um, and I'm, I've become fascinated by people in sport who have found a way to, to have this critical distance uh, in, in terms of their identity as an athlete, um, where it, it we really acknowledge the serious unseriousness of what we're doing. So I'll give you an example. Most of these examples, I actually, I don't even know how, how Christian they are, but I think of the late Mike Leach, uh, uh, Coach uh, Mike Leach, who uh, when, when he passed and I was listening to interviews about him, right? people would talk about his irreverence to the sport, right? Uh, and, and this is a guy who's, he's not in film all the time. He's teaching like history and Western Civ classes on the side. And mostly he's talking about, you know, uh, history and Western Civ. He, he comes to the games, not with like this, this huge handbook of plays. He's got like a little note card. And it's almost like this football thing is just something he happens to be doing and somewhat enjoys. Um, another, perhaps not great model for Christians, but I, I still find fascinating is in tennis, this character of Nick Kyrgios, who um, is an absolute jerk on the court. And, you know, it's not someone you're looking at your kids like, you should be like this. But he's this guy that's just like, you know what? The moment I win a major, I'm out. And this was fun. And it's something that I'm good at. But um, and so almost his attitude is more of just like, it's not so much that I, I that I'm, I'm, I, I idolize this sport. It, it's that it's, it's a space where I can be free to express myself and I'm, I'm having fun even when I'm extremely angry rather than John McEnroe, who probably like, there's a difference I think in, in those postures of, of winning and losing, but how can Christians, uh, leverage this idea of critical distance or ironic detachment from sport in a way that makes us more uh, cognizant of the moral orders that we're embedded in and how they're shaping us in ways that both overlap and, and are good and in ways that are, are, are not good. So uh, that's something that I want to explore a little bit more. Well, that that's fascinating. I love how you brought in Mike Leach and Curios and I think there's a playful element there. Then we think play is one, it looks one way. And, uh, you know, that um, perspective that they're bringing to their sports is so unusual, right? So, because we, we think of this sort of really 
driven intensity, tenacity, obsession being the only route to success. And uh, there's a there's a there's all sorts of different ways uh, to approach a sport, and maybe they're teaching us something through the the way they're approaching. Just to to go back on on Chad's comment. Uh, his institution has been playing football for a number of years, and here at Calvin, we decided it was time to redeem the sport. So we have now entered the arena. So that's, that's what I'll, to, yeah, redeem it. To every, clarify, critical <laughs> critical detachment. Yep. That's right. Every square yard. Every, every square yard. Every square yep. yard. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Sean, thanks so much for being uh, on Sport Faith, Faith Life with us. This has been fantastic, and I can anticipate future conversations as well. We love the fact that you're intrigued by this topic like we are, and uh, I think uh, it's just exciting to see the directions that you're going. So uh, we really appreciate your presence, and we just want to encourage you to keep on going. Oh, thanks so much, guys. Again, so happy to be here, and, and we'll look forward to talking to you. I plan on being at the next Global Congress, which I believe is down at Baylor. So we'll it'll be a great chance to connect again. Thanks for tuning in to the Sport Faith Life Podcast, a conversation at the intersection of sport and faith. Read the corresponding blog post and learn more about us at sportfaithlife.com. Listen to more of our podcasts on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social media to stay up to date with everything sport, faith, life.